Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey everyone, I wanted to give you a heads up about something. I'm hosting a free workshop on April 19th at 12 p.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern. That's right. I'm doing two in one day. It's called Diastasis Debrief, what coaches, practitioners, and athletes actually need to know about diastasis recti as it relates to pregnancy and postpartum athleticism. Woo. But here's the thing. I'm doing this workshop because after a video of my pregnant sister just demonstrating coning during pull-ups went viral, I knew this was a subject that we really needed to dive into with some sanity. So join me for a conversation about diastasis that will help navigate a lot of the confusion, fear, and disregard we see when it comes to diastasis during pregnancy and postpartum. Plus, there's going to be a Q&A available, and I really can't wait to chat with you. So use this link, www.briannabattles.com slash workshop to join. I'll see you there. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today, I'm here with Dr. Aaron of Squat University. So if you're not following him on Instagram, go ahead and do that. He has an extremely successful physical therapy practice, and he really helps connect the dots to coaching. So it's been incredible to follow you for the past few years. And he is the author of Rebuilding Milo. So Dr. Aaron, will you introduce yourself and give us a little bit more context about what you do and how you do it? Definitely. So first off, I do want to say thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, to the audience, I apologize if I cough every once in a while. I'm still getting over COVID from a couple of weeks ago and still have that lingering cough. But um, yeah, I am a uh, physical therapist, strength and conditioning coach, weightlifting nerd, sort of all rolled into one. My goal is to create content every single day across every single social media platform to help people move better in the gym and in life, decrease their common aches and pains and reach their true athletic potential. So basically, I have been a doctor of physical therapy since 2012 is when I graduated. And I have been working in the field um, also as a strength conditioning coach and as a weightlifter for much longer before that. I started competing in Olympic weightlifting back in 2005 before uh CrossFit was ever a big thing right. to really grow the sport like crazy. It was a very niche sport back in the day. And yeah, just sort of when I got out into starting to treat patients, I really wanted to be that blend in that voice for basically trying to help talk to uh, the athlete and the coach and ways in which they can work on a lot of aches and pains themselves and not have to always rely on the traditional medical system that is very broken in many ways so that they can really continue training and, and reach the performance potential, which they're capable of. And that sort of morphed into Squat University back in 2015 is when I first started that. And I've just been creating content all over the internet since. Yeah, you are a very busy man. <laughs> it's, um, it's really incredible to see somebody 
and I honestly can't think of many people who have done this, who are Mm -hmm. able to combine physical therapy and the clinical side and approach to things along with strength and conditioning principles and then applying it to like real life humans. You're really taking, Mm -hmm. connecting the dots between clinical, like programming, and then making it digestible for the average human and elite human following you on social media. You do an incredible job of that. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was the the big thing I saw that there was a a gaping hole in the way in which the medical community, the rehab community talks to people is it's always talking down. It's like, you know, all these very, very smart and scholarly people that are sitting in their ivory tower and they don't know how to communicate to the average everyday athlete and coach. You can't uh, use things like, you know, when your flexor you know, tendon is abducting at 30 degrees. Like you can't use language like that if you're trying to reach uh, the general population. And that's where, you know, I basically sat on the shoulders of Kelly Starrett with Mobility Water. You know, he really started things back in the day talking on YouTube and saying, you know, if your elbow is feeling wonky in this position, you know, people understand what that means, you know? So I think if you really want to create an impact in people's lives, you have to be able to communicate in a way in which is actually going to empower that individual to make change. And the style of your communication is so key. Um, It'll probably help that I was a weightlifter and a coach ever before I went to physical therapy school because I understood the language. I understood what it felt like to have your back, you know, blow out and pop, you know, three weeks before a weightlifting meet and there's all this frustration, all this pain and understand what it feels like to have, you know, your knee just ache and feel like there's a knife being jabbed into it uh, when you're getting ready to perform a heavy clean injury. So I think a lot of those things allowed my ability to relate to the average everyday weightlifter, powerlifter, crossfitter uh, to a much greater degree than a lot of other people who are currently in the field or, or trying to talk to people like that. But, you know, in the last couple of years, I'm seeing more and more uh, physical therapists, chiropractors, athletic trainers, and doctors uh, get better at that style of communication. And just in the end, it's going to benefit the person who is on the receiving end of that even more. Yeah, I 100% agree. You know, there's so much to be said for <coughs> that buy-in because you are also walking the talk. You you yep. understand the nuances. You understand what that feels like, or you're at least able to empathize because you're doing something similar or you have a background. I, I've totally seen mm-hmm. that shift as well with the practitioners that come into my certification course for coaches, learning how to coach pregnant and postpartum athletes. They don't have to be a CrossFitter, but they have to respect that the person they are coaching wants to do CrossFit and those movements are important or this person wants to run and being able to communicate in a way where they're going to get that buy-in and then they can apply their knowledge and their recommendations and their programming because that trust and relatability has been built. Mm -hmm. So what I love about your book, Rebuilding Milo, is that it's sort of this game plan for people learning to troubleshoot their own body, maybe who don't Mm -hmm. have access to physical therapy or it feels like there's just a barrier there with like, well, this physical therapist doesn't get me or my coach doesn't really understand the pain I'm feeling. So can you tell us just a little bit about what inspired that book and just, I guess, the impact that it's had? Yeah. I mean, I guess there's a couple inspirations for the book. I would say, uh, first of all, in my own life, I had been in the position many times where I would be training, I would have some sort of ache and pain, and I would not have a good 
the solution for what to do about it. You know, the traditional medical system right now is set up to where if someone has knee pain, their first go-to is often a medical doctor who then, when you go to and you say, my knee hurts, they say, well, what are you doing? You say, well, I'm squatting five times a week because I'm a competitive weightlifter. They say, well, stop doing squats. It's bad for you to squat that often. Knees over toes is a bad thing. You're going to hurt yourself. Stop doing it. Take this ibuprofen, take two weeks off. Then we'll see what happens. It's just a horrible way to go about things because most people in the medical community do not understand high-end strength, performance, athletics, things, you know, are, are waiting. There's not that type of education within the scholastic system. And I even, I remember going in my own physical therapy profession. I was in PT school getting ready for the 2011 U.S. Nationals, and I was developing such horrible knee pain. And I remember going to one of my professors and again, hand having a lot of knee pain with squatting and receiving a clean. And they'd say, well, how often are you lifting? And I'm like, well, I'm pulling two a days, three days a week. And then overall, like seven, eight training sessions throughout the week. And they're like, well, you, it's too much. You just need to pull back. You, you got to stop squatting so much. I'm like, that can't be the actual answer. There has to be more to that. And I think there's, again, there's a disconnect between the strength athlete, their goals, and the way in which the medical and rehab world has been set up to really understand, treat, and enhance that. And then I've also experienced that as a practitioner, treating other patients who have had a variety of different injuries and different severities of those injuries from your just general classic knee pain to recurrent back issues to much bigger injuries like in the, the intro of the book, Rebuilding Milo, I discuss a patient that I worked with who blew out his quad and patellar tendons and had massive uh, ligament tears in his knees, all because as a part of it, he was ignoring pain for such a long time. And as a strength athlete, because of the way in which the system has been set up, you are more likely to ignore your symptoms that you're feeling. And you just continue to push through it because you've had such bad advice for so long you don't usually finally go and seek out that medical advice until your performance has been affected. And it's almost like you're used to pushing through pain. And I think that's such a broken system. It's, it's push, 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 break, you know, take a break off and then rebuild, lift, 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 break, take a break off, you know, and it's, it's something like that, that has been such a commonality with strength athletes that, for such a long time, we need to revisit this and change things up. So one of the analogies that I got from Kelly Starrett was that you would not call an electrician to change a light bulb in your house. And in the same sense, there are so many common small aches and pains that we as athletes or anyone who walks in the gym, I consider an athlete. There are so many small aches and pains that we all get. We all have experienced shoulder pain when pressing or knee pain with squatting or back pain at some time. And a lot of these are not medical issues. They are issues that you should be able to take the first crack at fixing, but we don't have great options for teaching that. You have the physical therapist that tells you, you know, oh, don't let your knees go over your toes. I can't tell you the amount of DMs I get from people that still go to doctors of physical therapy who still think that knees over toes is a bad thing. It's ridiculous. We have such bad advice still. So I wanted to create basically all the free content that I make and bring it into one uh, digestible book that then people can take. And it's my approach to fixing those common injuries, back pain, hip pain, knee pain, elbow pain, all those things. You can take the first crack at fixing your body by learning how to screen, uncover your individual causes for pain, 
and then attack them based on what you find. Because that's, again, another flaw that I see in the social media age of trying to help diagnose and fix injuries. I see it all the time as people are like, back pain, do this exercise. And that's there's no shotgun approach that works when it comes to any type of injury. It has to be uh, screen, uncover what you find, and then address what you find. It cannot be just guess at the exercise. You always have to assess first. So that was the approach behind rebuilding Milo is basically my way of looking at injuries as a physical therapist and giving it out to people so that they can then become to, and take ownership, I guess, of the, of the process. Absolutely. I'm a big believer in trying to become an expert on your own body and then get the reinforcement from the appropriate professionals to help you along that journey. What we see so much with pregnant and postpartum athletes is sort of like what you mentioned was they don't get the help until they're like, God, I'm peeing myself every time I do double unders, or I feel like really like a lot of heaviness in my vagina when I'm coming out of the bottom of a squat or on a deadlift, I just feel a lot of pressure or my diastasis is so bad when I'm doing toes bar. They're not acknowledging that these are really common experiences, but there's a lot we can do on a prehab <coughs> during pregnancy and to help facilitate rehab and mm-hmm. progressive strength training and rebuilding that system postpartum. But it really sometimes takes hitting that wall or experiencing some sometimes like life-changing symptoms or injuries Mm -hmm. to go like, shit, I should have made some adjustments. And then it's not till baby number two (laughs) that maybe they like start to maybe follow some of the stuff I have or the recommendations or programming, but it starts early, like having that education and awareness of your body. So everyone like listening, we talk so much about people want, like you said, that just give me the exercise to fix back pain. People are like, what exercise can I do to stop peeing my pants? And like, it's not about an exercise. It's about how you do like everything. It's the sum of our habits, our experiences, our tendencies, and then kind of getting the appropriate exercise selection for what your goals are, not just to stop that. Like what are your performance and lifestyle goals? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've always heard it called the gift of injury. Um, and, and the reason for it, I mean, obviously it sucks when you're going through those things. I mean, I've experienced it many times and I know how agonizing and frustrating things like that can be. Um, but really once you learn about the injury, why did this occur? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What do I need to do to get out of it? It allows you to become empowered by the injury or the issue that you're experiencing so that not only are you getting yourself out of the problem, but you're becoming a stronger person because of it so that you are safeguarding against things like this happening in the future. So you are building a more resilient body through your hardships that you're experiencing. And that doesn't come when someone just gives you an exercise. It doesn't come from just watching YouTube video behind knee pain, best exercises, and just doing what they tell you. You have to understand, you have to learn it. And that comes through the screening process. It comes through the education. That's why it's so important when physical therapists, chiros, athletic trainers, doctors, when they can sit and they can talk to the person and at the end say, do you understand exactly what I'm telling you? Right. Too often people, they go to a practitioner and they're just like, blah, 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 blah. I'll ask you, hey, do you, what did your doctor tell you? Did he tell you why? Do you understand? Right. They have no idea. They didn't yeah. talk to them first in a way that they could understand. It didn't sink in. They're not empowered to then take control of the, of the issue. So that's where it comes from all standpoints, from coaching, from a practitioner. Mm-hmm. It's all the same. It's all communication, empowerment, 
understanding, taking control of the issue, because then it's going to be able to safeguard you from not just that issue, but then anything coming at you in the future. Oh, absolutely. And I, I really love that. And I appreciate you hitting on all of that because there is such a disconnect between trying to connect the dots with my doctor, my OBGYN said this, but then my public floor physical therapist said this, but then my coach is saying this, and yeah. I don't know what to actually do, even though mm-hmm. I have all of these expert opinions, what does that mean for me? You know, and it, it really yeah. is such a individualized conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So can we talk a little bit about pain? Cause obviously this exists across a huge spectrum of people and situations. But mm-hmm. one thing that um, I really liked in your books, it was just so clear was like pain is not a medical problem, but we're conditioned for treating the symptom instead of the cause. So how do you see that come up a lot in like the athletic and lifting communities? Gosh, all the time. Pain <laughs> is something that people deal with on a constant basis. And also I don't think people have a good understanding for what is, what is pain. You know, it's, it's uncomfortable sensations, but there's so many different ways we can experience pain. Um, and there's different things that can modify, can create pain. You know, you always hear the no pain, no gain kind of thing that's shoved down our ears from the first time we walk into the weight room. You know, the, the pain, the struggle, the discomfort of pushing through a 20 rep squat is very different than the sharp stabbing pain in your knee joint from an injury. So first and foremost, we have to have a conversation of, well, what kind of pain is it? Is it muscle fatigue? Is it burn? Is it ouch that hurts? That's pain, you know, that's limiting me from doing anything more. Um, Having that conversation is key because then that lets us know first and foremost, is this something that's okay to push through or is it something that we need to understand and, and maybe take a step back from? Athletes are great at pushing through things like this. It's a double-edged sword because that competitive nature of pushing through discomfort allows a lot of people to excel and reach that physical performance level potential that most aren't capable of. But in the same sense, that double-edged sword analogy, it's also allowing them to sometimes push through more than they should. And eventually the body pushes back and that's when injury occurs. So being able to have that discussion with an athlete early on of teaching them how to read their body. How to listen to your body is one of the most important things an athlete can develop over time because it lets them know, hey, I can push through this or hey, I need to look into this more. You will not be a great athlete if you don't know how to push into discomfort. Right. Plain and simple. There's no way to continue progressing in strength or power any type, you're not going to get a faster mile time. You're not going to run a marathon if you don't like or understand what it feels like to be in discomfort. In the same sense, if you don't understand what pain related to injury or something that you should take a step back and ask why, you're not going to be an athlete for a long time. Your body will push back and then that's where you have limited longevity. So a lot of that, it's uh, trial and error. It's sort of something that you learn by the only way to learn it is just to, to uh, continue to experience it over time. And it's one of those things of words of wisdom that, that I think a lot of times uh, we wish we could go back and talk to ourselves 20 years ago and say, hey, this is something I want you to, to know about because you're going to experience it and you need to know the difference. 100%. One thing that I think you might have said this on social media, I run into this all the time and I kind of call it athlete brain, but you had said that the number one reason that injuries occur in the gym are from ego. 
And I see that so, so often because we are trained to push through where it's almost like we don't even give ourselves the option because we've never been told that it's like actually okay to take a step back or take a rest day or like a true rest day, not like a five mile hike or like 2000 meter swim rest day, but like an actual rest day or do some of those exercises to help. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit more about being able to leverage that competitiveness and shut up the ego on behalf of like your long-term athleticism? I think the big thing that people mistake is they lack patience. They don't realize that you have time. There is so much more time than you think to build towards your ultimate goals, whether that's increasing strength, losing weight, getting a faster marathon time. You have more time than you think. And because of this lack of patience, many people force themselves to rush the process of building towards those goals. And when you have that ego that you can't step away from, and you are constantly trying to force the process and rush the process, you take shortcuts and you skip corners. And eventually your body pushes back. And those are the people that end up saying, I used to do this back 30 years ago. I used to be, you know, and right now they're, you know, a shell of what they used to be because their body pushed back enough to where they could no longer do those things. That's so well said. Thank you so much for acknowledging that. And I, that is something I try to drive home so hard, but just, I mean, it's like gym maturity, it's coaching maturity, it's athlete maturity. Right. But I think like a season like pregnancy and postpartum, like that puts a pause on your normalcy, on your aesthetic, on your performance, on your routine, all of these things that you're really used to attaching an identity to or a routine to that gets paused or it looks just dramatically different for a very specific worthy reason. But that there's such a mourning grieving process because they think it's final. They can't see beyond the season that they're in on behalf of like, but wait, when I'm 35, I want to be doing, I want to run a marathon. I want to be doing this. And like, you can, you want to do jujitsu. I want to do CrossFit or at 55, I want to be playing with my grandkids. I want to have a really active lifestyle where I go to a hiking club every other week, whatever, like. We're not thinking beyond the season. And I see so many athletes in particular that are injured, get like beyond core and pelvic health symptoms, but more orthopedic symptoms between the six and 12 month postpartum mark, because they were so eager to do their normal routine, training routine before their body and mind and lifestyle was truly ready for that. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. You see a lot of people, they jump back into things too quickly and they don't realize like you need to rebuild. I mean, I see this after an injury, you know, someone has a back injury that just devastates them and they have to take a big step back in the second that you release them to go back to the gym. (laughs) Sometimes you get some athletes and they just go right back into it and they go way too hard and then they end up with another injury again. You know, we need to be able to understand. And a lot of this just comes down to communication and education on how do we ease back into doing things and knowing that, Hey, we're still taking steps towards our ultimate goals, even though you may not be doing what you used to do. There's ways that you can still acknowledge small wins along the way that I think can help ease that process. Um, I'll, I'll give an example is that, um, Years ago, I was in a predicament where I was squatting probably more weight than I ever had in my entire life, but I was not squatting to complete 
ass to grass. I was squatting more like a, like a deep power lifter, but I wasn't really setting my butt on my heels. Um, so to change things up, eventually I had to strip the weight off, right? I had to literally squat like 60% of what I used to be squatting, but I could reach full depth. Now the ego side of me is constantly frustrated because I'm squatting what used to be considered very lightweight, but yet I'm doing things that's looking prettier. It's full depth. My technique is looking better. I feel better. My hips feel better. You know, so understanding that like, Hey, even though I'm not lifting and maxing out as heavy as I used to, let's still acknowledge and become aware of the small wins that are occurring. A, my technique is looking better. B, my left knee has not been hurting for a while. C, like I'm being set up to where eventually when I do get back to that heavier weight, the technique is going to be improved and I'm going to be doing the quality that I want. So things like that can, I think, be really helpful for people in any type of situation is to, while you may not be doing what you once were before, you can get back there. It's going to take some time, but let's acknowledge some other small things along the way that allow you to mentally feel a lot more satisfied with the work that you are doing. Absolutely. We talk, there's such a um, culture of, I want to bounce back. I want to get back to what I was doing before. And while like the, the premise of that is understandable, it's really about shifting the focus. (coughs) Well, what's ahead? What can you accomplish if you shift your focus from what you were, who you were? Because frankly, life has changed once you have a baby, Mm -hmm. like, what lies ahead and how can you work toward that instead of trying to work backwards towards something that simply just doesn't exist anymore. I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm just not lifting the same weight that I was 10 years ago because so much of my training and coaching in life has changed. But the point is I'm still freaking lifting and it's still enjoyable and I'm doing it without pain. And I think when we can zoom out of some of these challenging seasons of injuries or shifts in routine or ability, like that big picture is so beautiful. Agreed. So can we get into some of the nuance a little bit here about core strength? So you and I may know that um, isolating ab exercises aren't necessarily the go-to for building strength, but can you talk about what you wish more athletes and general population would do for their core strength? Yeah, I think the big thing when it comes to the core is understanding the difference between strength and stability. And also, what is the end goal of, of getting abs, I guess you could say. Right. That's, that's your goal. Because the way I like to put it is that unless you are a bodybuilder and your goal is to go out on stage and literally show off your abs, your goal should be to train the core for stability and not necessarily to develop the muscles. Now, in saying that, you can find many examples of athletes who do not train the sit-ups, the side bends, the Russian twists, who have very, very defined ab muscles. And they do so as a byproduct of the stability training they are doing in proper nutrition, not because they are doing crunches. The biggest myth in the world is that you must do crunches, side bends, Russian twists, all of these strength-related isolated exercises. If I don't do those, I won't get abs. And that's a complete myth. The way the core operates is basically like a guy wire system that supports a radio tower. So anyone's driven down the highway, you see a radio tower. There's a bunch of guy wires that are 
hanging off of it, some small, some spanning the entire tower. And the idea is that those muscles are there to generate tension to keep the tower stable. That's the entire purpose for your core muscles is to run along your spine and keep the structure stable. So the way in which you train it is very different than a bodybuilder who's trying to like isolate to grow in hypertrophy very specific muscles, specific end task goal. That's a little bit different. When we stabilize muscles, we're not necessarily trying to focus on one or two muscles at a time. We're trying to work on the entire core working together. So back in the, in the 80s, there was a lot of research that was coming out that tried to focus on very specific muscles that were like, these are the muscles that do core stability. People were like, oh, it's your transverse abdominus or it's your multifidus or things like that. And they would try to single out one or two muscles as the most important. When in fact, we find that it is the entirety of the core and how all those muscles work together that creates sufficient stability stiffness of the core. And then that's what allows us to have longevity and resiliency within our spine. So for example, rather than doing a side bend to work your lateral core, I would have people often do a suitcase carry. It's going to work those muscles just the same, but one is working to create movement. The other is to limit motion basically teach your body how to own the movement, control the movement, and stiffen the the core. I think what that does is it allows you to enhance your movement quality. Think about bending over and picking up a kid or a box or any type of functional movement you do, be it in the gym or squatting and deadlifting. Your goal is to control motion, not to just create motion at the spine. So the way in which we approach our training in the core has to reflect that. Oh my gosh. I really love what you said about being able to control motion. I think that is such an overlooked component of understanding how that core system works and coordinates on behalf of any athletic thing that we do. So I see a lot of uh, my pregnant and postpartum athletes that are like, give me the core exercises to prevent diastasis or that I can incorporate into my routine. If I just do these five exercises three times a week, you know, three sets of 10, then that'll prevent this or it'll heal that. But mm-hmm. really what, what I've tried to do with this is it's not about your very specific core exercise. It's about how you're squatting. It's about mm-hmm. how you're deadlifting. It's if you're able to do a suitcase carry well, it's how you're pushing a sled. Are you use, utilizing a sled? And like, that's what's ultimately going to rehab you. The rehab mm-hmm. exercises are more for your brain to just like <coughs> feel, feel how that system is working and coordinating. But then it's, there's so much um, I feel, especially with athletes, that is accomplished in the process of movements they're already doing. Yeah, I think the big thing people don't realize is some of the best core exercises are just moving well with yeah. an emphasis on proper core stability. Any exercise done well with the right emphasis is a core exercise. A front squat is a core exercise. A sled right. push, a deadlift. Those are all core exercises if done with the right intention. But too often we only think core exercises are sit-ups, planks, you know, suitcase carries. No, it's any movement with the emphasis of stiffening the core sufficiently and moving about the hips. So you could do as many side planks as you want, but if you get up in the second you pick something up on one arm, like a suitcase carry, your entire body collapses because you don't know how to connect your core to moving hips you have a problem. So that's where, yes, there's a time and a place for isolated movements, 
like a plank. There's nothing wrong with planks. But if you don't know how to integrate that core stability into movement patterns, you're going to lack that carryover that effectively allows optimal core stability to change the way you move in life. And that's the end goal of proper core stability because no one cares how long you can hold a side plank. It's not going to change anything. But if you do side planks and you do suitcase carries that allow you to, you know, have a stable core, mobile hips while you're walking. Oh, now it changes your ability to pick up your kid and your right arm and walk around the house and your back's in a good position. You know, things like that long term, they matter because it changes the way you move and interact in life. Right. Yeah. Mastering those movement patterns early and then well with load really has Mm -hmm. such a positive carryover for that. Again, that like lifetime. (coughs) So you are moving well and pain-free in your sixties, seventies and beyond. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to be squatting ass to grass till I'm 99 years old. I hope everyone's doing it with me. (laughs) Amen. So to piggyback a little bit off of core stiffening. So can we talk a little bit about weight belts and some maybe more appropriate use of them? Yeah. So, uh, weight belts are a very common topic that a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions on as far as how do you use them? When should I use them? Um, I will say first and foremost, most people are grabbing a weight belt ever before they should be. Um, what a weight belt does is enhances your body's intra-abdominal cavity pressure to a greater degree than just core stiffness alone which allows people when lifting to sometimes have greater power development and enhance their power that they are producing uh, for longer rep ranges. So if someone's able to produce, let's say, you know, X amount of wattage of power uh, for reps one through five with a weight belt on, they could extend that to 10 reps. So it allows someone to have better endurance in their uh, power outage allows some people to maintain that core stiffness for a little bit longer. Now, what does a weight belt uh, not do? Or what is the purpose? Uh, If you go uh, up to your coach and you say, hey, my back hurts, I'm going to put my belt on. No, that's not the right reason to ever wear a belt. A belt has no purpose in helping anyone with back pain, first and foremost. Second, most people need to spend a large amount of time learning how to create their natural weightlifting belt with proper breathing and bracing ever before they pick up a belt. If you have been in the weight room for less than five years, I'm probably not going to have you use a a weightlifting belt at all. Unless you are a competitive weightlifter or powerlifter, you have no purpose wearing a belt. You need to spend time learning how to build your own capacity with how to breathe and brace properly. Because I'll tell you this, more often than not, newer athletes have no idea how to properly breathe and brace. And they're grabbing a belt way too soon. So proper breathing and proper bracing creates this natural weightlifting belt effect that stabilizes your spine. Once you're having the capability to do that, a weightlifting belt can then be a great tool for those with the goal of lifting extremely heavy weight. For that reason, again, this is something that is a little controversial for some people. <laughs> I personally believe that unless you are a very competitive powerlifter, weightlifter, strongman, crossfitter, or your goal is I love to go and lift really heavy, unless that is you, a weightlifting belt is not something that you should have in your bag that you bring to, to the gym. I think that there is so much more return on investment 
from building your capacity without a belt for that reason. I mean, I couldn't agree more. We talk about this all the time because I try to teach like, especially postpartum athletes, like how to leverage their pressure differently than what we've been told. We've been told how to generate a lot of IAP for our lifts. And now you add on the weight belt, but for somebody who is having a lot of symptoms or trying to recover from pregnancy in general, we can't have added pressure and then add even more pressure from that weight belt. Like what's the purpose? Like there's so much to be said for building that capacity and really taking that time. And I want people to know, and I'm sure you do too, like you can be just as strong. Like you can be really strong and hit those lifts and hit that depth and maintain that form without the belt. There is 100%. like, I see it all the time. I have lived it myself. I'm living it myself. We don't really need that tool to be a really strong athlete. Yeah. One of the greatest deadlifters of all time had a saying that he would say, I build my own expletive belt mm. himself right. by just, by just bracing. Yeah. Stiffening the yeah. core, building his own strength. If you're, I mean, I would, think that most of the people listening to this podcast are not trying to be world-class powerlifters. Your goal within the gym, therefore, is to build a very strong and resilient body that allows you to do everything that you would want throughout the rest of your life. When you're going out and doing yard work, or picking up your kids, or moving a box in your garage, you're not going to go get your weight belt. So right. therefore, your goal within the gym is to enhance your capacity and your quality to move well and tolerate load maintain your back position without that belt. Right. So I don't think a weightlifting belt in that context is something that I would recommend. Absolutely. There's so much to be said for like training truly on that well-rounded athleticism that will stay with you and carry you through moving furniture, aging, yeah. kids, and just like having a really good foundation. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that a lot of people think is that a belt will protect their back. Mm, yeah. And that that's so not true. There's no, it will not help protect your back at all. The injury rates are just as high. And in fact, uh, a lot of times, sometimes I feel like they're a little bit higher when you see the amount of lifters that I do that uh, have back pain and, you know, oh, they put their belt on every single rep that they do. Right. Um, you know, if you're going to use a weightlifting belt, and you do have that aspiration to lift very heavy weight, it shouldn't go on until you reach heavier weights. Anything less than 70%, that weightlifting belt should not come out of your bag. Um, there should also be days within your training that you don't use a belt at all. Right. So that again, you can enhance that capacity and that tolerance to load, enhancing your natural weightlifting belt, and then reach for that belt when you need to. Absolutely. There's such a like progressive overload applies to the how we're doing things too, not just the exercises, but for all of you postpartum athletes listening, you're not going back to the gym and starting with a squat that's going to require you to brace and breath hold. You're going to be moving through it, being able to like adjust some of your breathing intention and pressure. And then once you get up to heavier load, okay, now I'm going to try it with a breath hold. Now I'm really going to try to generate even more tension. How does that feel? Is that creating pain? Is that creating symptoms? What is that doing? And then you master that. And then you keep moving forward. Like we forget that there's progressive overload in like the stimulus of things, not just the actual exercise. Definitely. So can I ask you some personal questions here? Definitely. <laughs> Maybe like not too personal, but I'm just wondering, you have done an incredible job of educating on social media. And that is a huge responsibility, especially because 
you're a practicing physical therapist. Like you just had patients right before this, right before this, Mm -hmm. you wrote a book, like you have a lot going on, my friends. (laughs) What, how do you do that? Like, what does your life look like with having that much reach and responsibility and like energy, just so much happening here. I'm fascinated. I will will tell you, I have an endless amount of energy uh, and my wife uh, hates it because (laughs) she's the opposite of me. Um, I'm a very um, extroverted energy seeking person. So a day in the life, I wake up at six in the morning, eat breakfast real quick. And then I'm on my phone for the next 15 to 20 minutes, messaging people back in the DMs. I get to work at about 7.30 and see patients until uh, about noon. Um, I quickly am making videos and replying to people in between patients the second I get a chance to. I work out for about an hour and a half. And then again, back to patients again for the rest of the day, four days a week. And then also have a half day where I'm seeing patients as well. Basically, if there's a second to be had, it's on social media, creating content, replying to people, I very much so live my passion. So there's not a a second that's wasted. I have a guitar that sits in the corner of my room that I haven't picked up in a couple of years since I got really into social media. Um, I have a PlayStation that is only used for DVDs when we rent a Redbox. You know, I, uh, my passion is my work. So I get more energy from what I do. Um, And I'm constantly fueled by, the gratitude of helping other people and the relationships that I make across social media. So yeah, I hope that answers that. I do. It's amazing. And I, I can, if I just look through the comments, you can see the light bulb moments for people. And I'm sure that Mm -hmm. feels so rewarding. Um, Do you have a team that helps you build content? So many people listening to this podcast (laughs) are new coaches or practitioners or wanting to get more educational content out there to help their local community or greater online space. What does that look like for you from, I mean, you're a coach and a physical therapist, but now you're also a creator on Instagram. Like, what does this look like for you? I will say I'm a rarity in how I do stuff because most people have teams Mm -hmm. that are at the level of what I do. They have teams that do it for them. Uh, I have a person who comes uh, every couple of months, my videographer, Evan, and we shoot content uh, for like eight hours straight one day for YouTube. And you'll always see there's there's videos where I will be talking so you can tell like there's a videographer that's shooting that. Uh, so we shoot content and he will then edit those quickly and send them to me. And we put those videos up like once a week on YouTube. But besides that help that he does on those videos, which are only 5% of my total content that I right. put out, everything else is, is 100% me. My so I, I do it all. You, you do a great job doing it all. I and it. I know that it, I know that it is a lot. I know what goes into it yeah. and not even to the extent of impact that you have. And I just want you to know, you're doing a really great job and you are changing I the landscape it. for so many of the people we interact with in the strength conditioning field, practitioners, and your everyday athlete, professional to novice. It's really incredible the work you're doing. And I'm super grateful you. that you took the time to come on this podcast. Yeah, it was great to come on. I, it was a fun conversation. Absolutely. So tell us where we can find out more about you and the work that you're doing. Man, any single social media (laughs) app out there, I am on it as Squat University, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, podcast. Man, did I name name them all? Snapchat. Every single 
social media aspect out there, I'm on. And you're doing it solo. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's That's a fun funny. job. It's a fun job to have. Yeah, most people they don't realize they're like, wait, you're a practitioner too. It's like, yeah, I see patients 40 hours a week in clinic and then also create content on top of it. Yeah, that that's like a whole new level of energy. So I, I really yeah. like appreciate you sharing sharing that <laughs> personal piece of what it actually looks like behind the scenes from you. Because you're right, there's a lot of assumptions that go into entrepreneurship and social media and just how things are actually created and what that yeah. process looks like. Yeah, you're welcome. Amazing. Well, have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. You. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts, three to four workouts each week and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and postpartum athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you and please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Mm -hmm.